Hey everybody listening, it's another brilliant episode of Value Nigeria podcast. Um, how are you doing? How has your week been? First, I would just like to apologize. It's been a very long period that you've heard from us last. Um, uh, it's very unusual of us, but unfortunately we had a guest lined up for the last episode, but for one reason or the other we had to reschedule. Um, forgive us, we'll try to make things as regular as we've always been. Um, so, um, one more time. So, this is Value Nigeria where we talk about how the retail investors can basically improve their practice and improve their earnings. And uh, we've over the past few months, thereabouts, we've been having a series of guests come onto the show um, investment professionals, seasoned, tested, and trusted who share their experience and share their formula, even for an advice for the retail investor. And in that same vein today, I have a brilliant guest on the show today. Um, My guest is vast and very seasoned. Um, I'm just going to toot his horn because I know he might not want to share a few things. But my guest is a BSc holder in um, accounting. And it's not just a BSc holder in accounting. He has a first-class degree from Babcock University in Elisha. And we'll probably have a little chat about that. Um, not just that, my guest is also a chartered accountant and he became a chartered accountant at age 18. And I asked myself, what was I doing at age 18? I was probably still um, very unserious with my life. and you know. So this is somebody that is focused and has achieved quite a lot and we'll get to hear from him today to hear his secrets to success and his advice to the investing public. Um, he's an investment professional that has worked with various firms, investment one prof- and investment one financial services, and now with Meristem Nigeria. My guest is no other person than Mr. Sodik Safiriu. Um, Mr. Sodik, good afternoon. Welcome to the show today. Hi, good afternoon, Dr. Ajibola. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you for creating the time to come on the show today. Um, it's been a long time in the making, and I'm glad we've been able to um, bring it to reality. Um, how has your week yeah. been, sir? <laughs> um, my week has, you know, has been stressful. Um, the research, a typical research analyst life. So it's it's been a stressful week trying to, you know, balance everything and and with what has been happening across the globe, inflation year and day. You know different things in Nigeria and 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 across the world generally. You know we have to we have to be abreast of of these happenings. So yeah, it's been a stressful week, but I'm holding up and I'm glad to be here to you know share with you what what we have. Perfect, absolutely brilliant. And um, one more thing I forgot to mention about Mr. Sadiq, uh, that's the fact that he supports a particular football club, and because of his support <laughs> of that club. We are arc enemies. <laughs> uh, so he supports football club Barcelona. So just by saying that, you should know, listeners should know the club I support. And um... exactly. <laughs> okay. And, 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 and I'm sure they know. They know I'm, I'm, I'm superior, but no, no, Allah. Well, 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 well. You are superior. You ended up in uh, the Europa League last week, last season. Well, I, I know you said that was last season. So let's focus on this season. Time will tell. <laughs> oh, all right perfect so, all right. so as always we we like getting to know to get to know our guests a little bit more um so if you don't mind us sharing a little bit about your personal background what growing up was like for you what um, your educational background and a little bit about your professional background we would really appreciate that sir 
All right, that's not a problem. Um, yeah. Again, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here to share um what like to share my knowledge with you, you know, and then to be able to discuss with you. Um growing up for me, <laughs> I was um I would how would I put that now? It's it's I, I grew up um in Shomolu. Um if people that might know, they might they might want to call it the the ghetto part of Lagos State, right? <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm the first born, the first son of my parents. I have two siblings, two younger sisters, and um, in the family of Safari, we are we are many, right? <laughs> so I have I have um, um, two elder cousins, but. We don't we don't call ourselves cousins, right? So, so brother, sister, I have plenty mommies, plenty daddies, right? And I have um, younger siblings as well. You know, um, the, the Safi family is known for for you know um, this grooming, right? So growing up for me was fantastic because I grew up, you know, with um, these people. So I learned a lot about love, about um, bonding, and how to um how to keep relationships right and um also um primary school education my my parents are teachers so um you can understand how <laughs> how disciplined it was like for me and you know it's always go and read go and read and and, and so many of reading right but the environment as i said being being sure and um yes but but then i had friends who you know sort of made me streets wise yeah in that sense so I, I i was not just growing up to be the bookie i was also growing up to be you know to, to be streets wise yeah, and people that know boy. <laughs> friends, exactly my friends my friends sort of wonder how i get to balance both together very well you know balancing that bookie life, and then when they see that street side of me as well, they sort of wonder how it gets balanced. But you know, that's just how it has been for me. All right. So, so for my educational background, as I said, um, primary school at um, Bagogi Kids College. That's like uh, my school, um, my my dad's school. So. We, I, th that that was where I finished from my that that was where I did my primary education, secondary education as well, segregation of the college. So from there, I'd been, you know, building, um, I'd been building that. Will I say, the the entire CV from there because I uh, I have always the the competition was always there for me to to be to come first in the class. And um, fortunately for me, I'd always maintained that. I'd always been top of my class throughout uh, my primary school and then secondary school. I took my GC, I think that was age 12. And um, when, I, when I just finished SS1, because it was, it was to be a first trial, right? Just wanted me to play with it. And um, fortunately, I passed that. Um, I passed it at once. Right, so I took jump, and I had 179, and um, cutoff was 180. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get into a cook 
then so I had to wait an extra year, then I did it, I passed and I, I you know, got admitted into Babcock University to study accounting. I would say the one year I had to stay back um, was, was a blessing because it taught me, I, I, I learned a lot um, within that one year. So before that time, I was nonchalant with studying because I felt like I knew it. So I wouldn't read before exams or I'll, I'll just read a part of it and then just want to go to the exam or to freestyle the rest, yeah? But, but um, the one year taught me um, a lot because I, 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 I taught um, in my dad's school so I was the, when when I was with the students, um, every day was a new opportunity for me to learn. So I wasn't just their teacher; I was also their mentor, and it was a responsibility for me to ensure that these students performed well. And not just um, academically, I was also um, very conscious of their welfare outside just academics. Right, so it's it's gave me that sense of responsibility and um, sense of yeah belonging. So I I I saw life in a different perspective. And when I got admitted into Babcock University, I was more conscious. And um, yeah, into Babcock University, first time um, leaving my parents or leaving my family, um, going to Elisha all alone. Um, it was lonely, but. I had to get it done. I wouldn't want to disappoint my parents. Uh, Babcock University is, you pay a lot to be there. <laughs> and for someone coming from, from, from Shomolu, you don't want to go to Babcock University with that, with, with the every amount that you pay a school fees and flop, right? So it was, it, it was um, a responsibility for me to, to learn and to come out strong and also to be an example to my mentees were my students then, and also to my sisters, my younger sisters, and generally to make my family proud. While I was still in under level, I, I didn't, I would say I didn't really know the gravity of what first class was like until my first semester results came out and I had a 4.80. And then my roommates were shouting and they were ailing me. And I was like, okay, what does this really mean? You know, what is it? What is it to get this 4.80? And then I reached out to my to my parents at home, my family, and they were also like very proud. You know, the, the entire, um, the, the buzz around it meant so much. And I was like, I think this is a big deal, right? And uh, I, I don't want to mess it up. So from there on, um, I was, more intentional about studying. Then I had a click um, at Babcock University that kept me on my toes. Um, my friends, <laughs> they will be listening to this podcast. So um, that's, that's part of it to mention a few names. Go for it. Likes of Chidi, Rafiat. You know, Owolabima, Jokodumi, Tilewa, Folarin, you know, they know themselves. <laughs> so the click I I I I had then um actually helped me um to you know to 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 be better, you know, not to not to slack and um it's it got better from there and I maintained that up to my 
final year and I graduated with 4.71, right? And um, within that space as well, <laughs> I also um, took the ATS exam, started from 100 level, right? And then I got qualified um, as a chartered accountant and like 300 level. Not to brag, but as a first to do it as an undergraduate in the Department of Accounting at Cook University, right? So that's it um, for my, I think, for my educational background. Um, professional background, um, I started out, um, well, undergraduate internships, we undergraduate internship with KPMG Nigeria, we graduate internship with Stambik, and um, during my NYSC, um, I was with Pensions Alliance Limited. I worked with Pensions Alliance Limited for over two years because I was retained after um, after my NYC. Then I moved to Investment One Financial Services Limited. I worked briefly with them for five months. And I'm presently with um, Meristem Nigeria, where I work as an investment research analyst. Wow. Thank you very, very much for sharing that. Um, um, it's it's refreshing listening to to your to you recount your story. Thank you very very much, sir. Um, I I salute you, the you. hard work and all that you've put in that has brought you this far. Um, th- there were a few thoughts that came up while you were speaking. The first is, at what age did you get into Babcock University? That was fifteen years. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Wow. Okay. And and forgive me for assuming as well. Um, from your name. Can I assume that you are yeah. a Muslim? Yes, I am a Muslim. Okay. Yeah. Now, the question is, how did you cope? Because I, I worked in Babcock for a, a good few years, and I know what that environment was yes. like, you know, the week of spiritual emphasis, yeah. morning devotions and all that. <laughs> yes. How did you cope with that yes. environment and still retain your identity? Well, um, that that's a very, very interesting question, actually. Um, the thing is, for me, before um, Babcock University, I didn't, like, I, I wasn't aware of um, religious differences. I think I was very oblivious of that. <laughs> so in my environment, I am everyone's friends. I think I even have more Christian friends than Muslim friends, you know. So I, I, didn't, I didn't see myself as a Muslim, I don't know if you get that. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't like consciously think of, oh, I am a Muslim, that kind of thing. No, I, I didn't see myself like that. So when I went to Babcock University, it was a different ball game entirely because, you know, it's like it's, they made it obvious that, okay, you are a Muslim and this is Christianity. So it was, <laughs> it, it came as a shock that, oh, there is this part of, you know, there's this part of this world. I, I think I've been living in a different world entirely, right? But uh, uh, because of um, how I grew up and my parents and my family generally, there, there's just this tolerance. And as I you remember, I said, I, I learned how to build relationships and um, how to keep them, how to bond. So I never had um, difficulty, you know, getting closer to Christians as friends or or anything at all. I, I, there was no discrimination for me. It was very easy. Like, I didn't, I didn't find it difficult. Where I, I found, uh, or what I found a bit difficult initially was, you know, the preachings, um, you know, they are consciously trying to convert you, sort of. And also, we had to take Christian courses from 100 level to 300, to 300 level. Yeah, so, but for me, my 100 level, I attended 
um, all the church services. Everyone wondered why I, I was always keen on going to church, but I was there. Like I was even at the front seats in the church listening because for me, it was more of the lessons than, you know, the conversion. So I want to learn what you're talking about. For once, I'm not seeing it in, in, in a religious perspective. The lesson is important to me. If you are preaching love, regardless of if you are a Christian or a Muslim, love is love. So you have to, so I'm picking the message and then I am not seeing it that, oh, the messenger is a Christian. So I'm just picking the message. And I will tell you for a fact, it's, so it's, it's really helped me. It opened my eyes to so many things and I learned more because I was, I, I, will, I kept an open mind. So I, I as much as possible, I learned more. And because, you know, they are trying to consciously um, make you convert, it pushes me to even go further to learn more about my religion. So some things I didn't take seriously or I wasn't so conscious to, to learn or want to know, I, I moved further to learn them and to know them. And it gave me, like, I, I got answers as much as possible. And for the courses, all my Christian courses, I had A. So I was I was learning the Bible verses, Bible, um, Bible chapters, and I had Christian friends. So Adiola, Falasha, Esther, like they are all Christians. So while we were learning, we were, we were learning it together, and I I I wasn't I was I, I was particular about getting my grades. I need to do what I need to do. That that's just it. I won't leave the school because. Oh, it's a Christian school. That that's a minus for me. You know, that means you know there's there's no tolerance. So I did what I had to do, and I would say that, that if the opportunity would come again, like I don't think I would refuse to go to Bangkok University just because it's a Christian um, university or even a Seventh Day Adventist church um, for that matter. All right, perfect. I I wish everybody were were as tolerant and you know could be as open. As you've been, we, we all have a lot to learn from each other. And at the end of the day, we are all yeah. humans and we, we you know, we, we owe it to ourselves to make our nation better. It's not, it's not, there's no divide and we can coexist exactly. peace, peacefully. All right. Exactly. Now, 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 moving ahead, why accounting? Why did you choose accounting? Because it sounds like, it's not, it's not it sounds like I'm certain you could have been anything you wanted to be. A doctor, an engineer, yeah. and an and, and astronaut. Why accounting? Okay, so growing up, uh, to be sincere, accounting was just pleasing to to my ears because when I heard accounting, it was just money for me, and <laughs> we were, we all wanted money. So as 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 um, a child, it was it was about the money for me, and. Um, you know, we truthfully, our parents have a way of influencing our decisions, our career plans while growing up. Yeah. So um, also, it was like accounting was what was being whispered to my ears. What I what I woke up or um, yeah, what I woke up to yeah, and every day, right? So that stuck to mind, and I kept that as something I, I wanted to do growing up. Then later on. I had engineering side by side accounting, but I figured that I, I just I just um, sort of lean towards accounting more than engineering. So I kept it going, you know, um, secondary school, 
I went into, so after GS3 um, bike exams, I went into um, physics, chemistry, biology classes. But I don't know. They were just, I didn't just, I was not feeling it. I, I, I didn't think I wanted to be in the class. So it wasn't, it wasn't as interesting as I, as I wanted it to be. So I, I went into the accounting classes, you know, economics, commerce. And, you know, it's, it just felt like something that even if you wake me up at night to tell you, I would just wake up and start seeing everything. So it's, it's, I just felt like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. And it felt like, yeah, that's it. And then I got into Bangkok University as well, you know, I just kept doing it. And even if I, I was going to be failing every other courses, I, I was just passing accounting. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, sir. Thank you, sir. Now, um, you work as an investment research analyst uh, with Meristem Nigeria. And from personal um, experience, I might be wrong, but I've, I've found out that only the brightest and the best are reserved to cover the banking industry. Uh, which is what you cover at <laughs> present. And um, talking about banking will be actually the focus of our discussions today. Now, for the retail investor in Nigeria who invests in Nigerian equities, why are the banks so important? Why should the retail investor not ignore banking? Why should we have banks in our portfolios? Well, um, thank you very much. So, as you rightly said, you know, the, the Nigerian banking industry, banking industry is very important. And yeah, it's there are there are there are several reasons why um the retail investors should not ignore the, the Nigerian banking industry when selecting, you know, tickers to put in their portfolio, right? Um one of them is that the Nigerian banking industry if I am not exaggerating, is the most regulated industry in Nigeria. So we have um, the Apex Bank, the Central Bank of Nigeria, on the bank's neck, right? So the there is this um, regulation, strict regulation, and not just only in Nigeria, across the globe, um, because of um, taking it back to the global financial crisis that happened in 2008. So the bank had, you know, um, the bank, the bank had um, something to play. Like it, it was a major vessel in in that crisis, right? So, since then, before then there have been regulations, but since then there have been stricter regulations to ensure that these banks are upright. There are some banks we call the um, too big to fail banks, the systemically important banks to um, to the country or to the economy, right? So, the banks are are very they are very regulated, and because of that, with more regulations means that you know there is um, greater tendency for these entities, that's the banks in this case, to be upright to ensure that they file their financials as a trend due to ensure that they adhere to key metrics or prudential ratios that are being laid down by these regulators. So because of that, you know, it is, you know, that, that's, that space just give you more confidence that um, what they are doing is under proper scrutiny, right? Also, 
the banks are the major vessel for you know circulation of um, funds in in the economy. So if we are talking about the the monetary authorities either taking expansionary um, monetary policy or contractionary monetary policy, regardless of the policies that they are taking, either they are tightening rates as we are seeing across um, the globe presently, or they are loosening rates. The only way these tools will have effects on the economy is through the banks. So the banks are vessels that are used to, you know, to coordinate the affairs on the monetary aspects, to coordinate the affairs of the economy. So if we are, um, let me take you back to the pandemic period, right? So, you know, there are a lot of things, economy slowed down, um, we didn't really have so much economic activities going on, right? So we, we saw some economies um, accruing so much debt and even falling into recession. Now, to revive this economy, the banks are instrumental to do that because we have to use them to fund the real sector economy. And we saw that play out in Nigeria where the CBN, you know, did or carried out so many um, interventions to ensure that, through the banks now, to ensure that, you know, the economy was stimulated. Um, if you would ask what sort of CBN intervention was, was taking place, we saw um, the intervention fund rates was reduced from 9% to 5%. And this is just to ensure that, you know, um, people access more funds from the bank, so from the CBM, but through the banks, right? And also several other um, policies that were taking place. Um, the CBN increased loan to deposit ratio from 60% to 65%. You know, when loan to deposit ratio is being increased, it's just, it's just to say that the banks are too give more loans to people that are eligible to get loans, right? So these are relevant, um, these are relevant things that retail investors should look at in, you know, in, in considering the banks as one of, or as good tickers to put in portfolio. Also, I would like to mention that before the introduction of um, the large caps in, most of the large caps in Nigeria presently, we have the likes of MTN, um, Etel Afri and um, Dangsen, that's Dangote Cements, Boa Cements. You know, before their introduction, the banks generally um, play a major role in the Nigerian equities markets. Over half, their the, 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 the market cap was over half of the entire um, Nigerian equities markets, right? So it just sort of explain how this you know, how these banks are very important to the Nigerian equities market itself. Even though um, right now we, we have seen that the, the market cap of the entire bank has sort of um, reduced to, you know, barely over 10%, right? However, when we, when we sort of look at the activities going on in the equities market on day-to-day -day basis, that's the volume traded, the value traded, you will see the banks there. You will see, you'll see the likes of GTCO as um, guaranteed trust. You see the likes of Zenit. You see the likes of FVNH. 
slags of UBA on the list of volume traded. That's how much of these stocks are being you know, traded and the value also traded per day. So all of this just, just remind us that the banks are really relevant and you know, retail investors should not overlook. And one thing that they would like to hear <laughs> is that these banks, uh, most of them, pay regular dividends consistently from, from track records. They pay consistent dividend and attractive dividend as well. So I know I know this would entice retail <laughs> investors because most of the ones I've been given earlier, they're like, mm, okay, how will this affect us? But this one affects your money yeah. directly. So you know, uh, this is also something to consider in looking at why you should pick or select banks or why you cannot just ignore the banks um, when creating your portfolio. Excellent, excellent. I'm happy that you've said that, sir. Uh, the results from banks, the financials from banks, you can trust that a little bit more than financials from a few other companies that I will not mention names uh, right now. <laughs> now, um, the, the next thing, um, retail investors, they, they now they are interested in the banks, but in trying to understand the banks, how do banks make their money? When I pick up the, the financials of a bank, what are the key things I need to look about look at? Can you just kindly walk us through how banks make their money generally? Okay, okay, thank you. Thank you for the question. So if if you look at the bank's financials, you see that um, it sort of differs from um, financials of, let's say, the consumer goods, uh, oil and gas, you know, it's, it's sort of different. And this is because the business model for banks are quite different. And yeah, how they make their money. Basically, you see the gross earnings. The gross earnings is divided into the interest income and the non-interest income. These are the key components of how banks generally make money. So in understanding them, the interest income, right, sort of it's the income that banks generate from um, assets that earn them interests, right? So majorly for banks, they are major assets are the loans. We um, let me just quickly explain that banks are the core activities of or the core activity of traditional banks is the financial intermediation. And when I say financial intermediation, it is um, sort of what it means is um, the banks collect money from um, the supply side. That's their customers that have so much money that want to deposit with them. And they turn it around and give it to their customers again that are in need in the demand side. That are in need in, so they turn it in form of loans to give to them. So for the banks, their major assets um, or their major assets is the loan, right? So the loan, you, you will not just give someone a loan or the banks will not just give you a loan without interest on it. So these sort of assets that yield interest likes of the loans, um, we have investment securities that these banks keep. You know, we have um, yeah, financial assets that they keep that yield interest for the bank. The aggregate of this income, right, is what is termed the interest income. So all the income that they get from the interests earning assets are the interest or is regarded as the interest income. On the other hand, we have the non-interest income. Non-interest income, as the name explains, 
these are income that are generated, but not um, interest-based, right? So we have the likes of account maintenance fee. Um, you have your ATM card um, fee. You, know, you have trading income. You have foreign exchange gains. So these are um, relevant, you know, other fees and commission that this are the aggregate of, of that is the non-interest revenue or income that the bank gets. So you, you might see a lot of people complain about oh receiving debit debit alerts for account maintenance fee. I'm receiving this for this. Why is the bank charging me? Why is the bank charging me? This are just there are fees that you know the bank has to get in order to either you know to keep maintaining your account and and the like. So the aggregate of those fees that they get from um, their their other operations that are not interest based is the non-interest income. But the other aspect of it, the ones they get from interest earning assets, is what is regarded as the interest income. So basically, this is how the bank. Or yeah, the banks. This is how they make money. Perfect, perfect. Thank you very, very much, sir. Um, now, for the for the retail investor that now picks up the financials of a bank, they've looked at how the bank makes money. They've looked at that, uh, but there are a few ratios here or there that are quite peculiar to the banking industry that can help you understand the bank a little bit more. Um, can you just walk us or yeah. talk us through a few of those important numbers or a few of those important metrics? that we need to understand to be able to analyze and uh, invest more profitably in banking industry. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. So um, some of these key metrics, you know, there are metrics that you have to look out for because the financials of banks are different from um, the financials of, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, oil and gas and some other companies, right? Um, there are also specific metrics that you look out for in, when when checking out the banks and knowing how um, sound they are fundamentally. So we have um, assets yield and interest um, net interest margin. I'm merging these two first to explain because they are, simi- they, are they they have similar um, denominator, right? So for the assets yield, what it explains is how much um, interest income. That's gross now. If you have not removed anything from the bank's interest income, when you are looking at it in proportion to the bank's average interest earning assets. So remember I said that the interest in assets, these assets that, that yield interest for the banks. So you are looking at the gross interest income from the banks that the banks have that the bank now in specific had made during that financial year or during the review period. You are now looking at what is the proportion of it to its average interest earning asset. This just tell you that you know the proportion of when you get that figure, just tell you that oh, you know the higher the better. If the bank is making let's say ten percent, is it's it's um gross income, gross interest income, or its interest earning asset now is yielding ten percent gross interest income. You know it's sort of attractive and all, but yeah, the the higher the better. That's for the asset yield. Now, the net interest margin, on the other hand, is the net interest income. You know, the other one, the asset yield was gross. This one is net. Net in the sense that we've deducted the interest expense. 
So as the banks are collecting interest from the customers they're giving loan, they are also paying interest to the customer that they got the deposit from. So that the interest they are giving those, the, the, the customer they are getting deposit from is the interest expense, while the one they are getting from their loans, interest income. So the net of it is what is termed net interest income. So when we are looking at the net interest income, you're looking at the proportion of that to the average interest earning assets. What you get is your net interest margin. So we really look at this because it tells us, you know, how the bank is performing in terms of its net interest income. That's when, when it has gotten its interest income, it deducts the interest expense, you know, what exactly is it? So the higher, the better for this as well. It's an important metric to be, to be looked at when checking, you know, the bank. Also, we have the cost of fund. This cost of fund explains how much is the bank um, giving out in terms of interest expense. So that in, in getting its funds, in sourcing for the funds, how much does it cost the bank to source for these funds? That's those cost of fund. So this one is, is gotten using the interest expense. Remember I said that the interest expense is what the banks would have paid out to customers that they got deposits from. So the interest expense divided by the interest-bearing liabilities. So there are other liabilities that could, you know, that could bear interest that the banks have paid interest on. So we are looking at the aggregate of the interest expense divided by the interest-bearing liability. That helps us to look at the cost of fund. For this one, the lower, the better. You know, the comp for it to be more effective, you have to keep your cost of fund low. Right, so we just want to look at how the banks are doing when it comes to cost of fund. Also, we have cost to income ratio. This is very important as well. This is, you know, just looking at the bank's operating expense divided by its operating income. It wants to look at, oh, is it spending too much to actually generate this sort of income? In this in this line, we have GT GTCO doing so well for for a very long time now. GTCO has been maintaining, you know, the least cost income in the Nigerian banking industry. Before its um, transformation into holding company, you know, it was keeping around I think thirty percent. I think in twenty twenty one, it's now um, above barely above 40%, maybe 40, 41%, but it's still sort of, you know, at the lowest in across um, the Nigerian banking industry. So cost to income ratio is also, is also something to look out for when assessing the bank. We have capital adequacy ratio as well. So this capital adequacy ratio just explains um, the tier one capital and, you know, other capital for the, that the bank has divided by its fixed-weighted assets. So you want, this explains how adequate the bank's capital is. You know, in, sort, in, in cases where we have um, crisis, how will the bank survive? You know, so the, the capital adequacy, we have, we have prudential ratio for this one, right? So for national banks or banks with national license, the um, benchmark is 10%. It should not be, um, lower than 10%, minimum of 10% that you must keep. 
as a national bank for your capital adequacy ratio. But for an international bank, a minimum of 15% that you must keep as, you know, as um, capital adequacy ratio. Also, you want to look at non-performing loan. The ratio of your non-performing loan to your total um, gross loans, or yes, your total gross loans. So we have, for banks, they have um, several loans. We have the stage one, stage two, and stage three. For the stage three is what we call the non-performing loan. These are loans that are very doubtful, that the banks are doubtful that they might recover such loan because that's taking you know a long time and they've not the, the loans have not been serviced and it's it's doubtful for the bank to retrieve such loan. So it's called non-performing loans. So you, if, as much as possible, you want to keep such um, below uh, the potential ratio. So for this, it is a maximum of five percent, maximum of five percent. So it's always good when your NPL, that's a non-performing loan ratio, is below 5%. Although we have some banks that have high um, non-performing loan ratio, but they've been talks in, in trying to stabilize things. I don't want to mention names, <laughs> but yeah. But you know, um, it's, it's advisable, yeah. It's recommended that the NPL ratio is below 5%. There are, there are some other ones, but yeah, these are key ones. So you, you don't want to forget return on equity too. This one is general, very important for even companies that are separate from banks. You want to know, you know, the um, return that your that this company is actually giving to its equity holders, and we cannot also forget dividend yield. This is this is very uh, this is very important for retail investors, especially for people that are not only holding for capital gains, but are also holding because of dividend, because they want to get dividend from this company. So you also want to look at the dividend yield. How much is it compared to the cost to your cost to the cost you are you are buying the the company's shares at that time. So these are, are relevant and key metrics that you know, that should be assessed when looking at banks to know how fundamentally sound these banks are. Perfect. Thank, thank you for that masterclass. That was indeed a masterclass and indeed a free education for, for retail <laughs> investors. Um, you touched briefly on, on the whole subject of hold code as holding company, which most banks are evolving into these days. We've seen FCMB, GTCO, yeah. Access Bank... And it seems even UBA might be towing that that yeah. course very soon. What are your thoughts on Holdco? Is it a hit or is it a miss? Mm. So, well, Holdco structure has been something that it has, it has initially existed for banks, right? Before it was abolished, then now it was brought back. And um, initially, it's called the universal banking because it gives banks the space and the opportunity to do other things, other activities, and other operations separate from banking um, activities, right? So, initially it was abolished because the, they just want, the, the regulator wanted banks to just focus mainly on um, banking activities, right? Because they believe that there might be distractions from other um, activities that are being taken on. And, uh, and it doesn't allow the bank to fully focus on this. But now, 
has been it's brought back to life and we are we are seeing attention you know going towards that line with banks trying to get in, into you know being old in structure and whether it is a it is a hit or a miss uh, this will be specific on the bank and the strength of the bank however generally looking at it you know from if zooming out and looking at it from a broader perspective i think that it is a good development and the reason why i'm saying this is um banks you know banks are evolving the world is changing the world is moving the world is dynamic and for traditional banks you do not just expect them to just stay and just keep doing just banking activities because we have um, competitors eating into this space. We have likes of fintech. We have um, digital currency coming in as, you know, these are competitions to some of the operations that the banks are, are presently undergoing, right? So giving the banks the opportunity to take on more activities. And, and, and mind you, the activities are going to be financial services related, but they are non-banking but they are also financial services related. So they can do insurance, they can do asset management, they can do pension, they can do... So this is going to give them a broader basket to diversify their um, revenue sources. So, you know, in, in, in periods where interest rates is not really benefiting the bank, if we restrict them to only getting their income from, you know, this um, traditional way, then it would affect them. How do we affect them? You know, it's it's supposed a threat to their gross earnings, their earnings generally, both top line and bottom line. So I, I, I think it is a very good development for banks to be given the opportunity to leverage and to do other, you know, to, to, to do other things, either through collaboration or acquisition or merger, but for them to be able to um, play in other spaces that are non-banking, it gives them that leverage, right? We can also look at it that, you know, the operating costs might be much because when you take on some of all other things, you know, it, it also increases your operating cost. However, you know, generally, it, it just gives them the opportunity to, to do other things and to increase and diversify their revenue base. So I think, I think it, is, it is a good development for the banking industry in general. Thank you very, very much, sir. Uh, you talked a little bit about the changing paradigms in the world. You've talked a little bit about fintech. What are your thoughts about fintech versus banks? Because there's been this debate that fintechs are, you know, carving out the having at the banking territory do we think do you think it's yeah. they are competing against each other or is uh, fintech just a fad that might fade away in the next decade <laughs> so it's rather too early to call mm-hmm. and and uh, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't say that the fintech will, will fade away because tech tech is the world um tech is is the future is the present and the future whether it is a competition well, I would like to see it from another angle. I would like to see it from a collaboration point of view. I wouldn't see um, so collaboration in the sense that these fintech companies, while they are, they are eating into some aspect of the value chain of the banks, right? 
it still gives the bank opportunity to collaborate with them. Now, for instance, um, this fintech company, so let, 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 me, let me say an example of Piggyvest, right? So if you use Piggyvest and you want to put money in, in Piggyvest, or I've forgotten that, that um, I know they, they have the safe lock, yeah. and then there, there is another one that you can just leave there and you can withdraw at any time. To put in money there and to take it out, you require a Wema Bank account in that space. So what that just means is you can't pull the banks out entirely because somehow they will still they will still have a, a way to you know to come in to render some services to you. So for me, I see it more from a collaboration point of view, right? And when we talk about the financial intermediation itself, which the bank is big on. It's very difficult for a fintech to come into that space and take on the risk that the banks are yeah. taking and to even subject themselves to the amount of regulations that these banks are currently facing. So the, as much as, as I see it, fintech um, companies are not even subjected into as much regulations as these banks are. So in future, we don't even know if you know, some of these um, authorities or regulators or regulatory authorities who want to, you know, bring the fintech down to to subject them themselves to these, you know, to these regulations. But for now, I see it more from a collaboration point of view. Either side will benefit. Why fintech is I won't I won't call it something that will fade away in future because it is leveraging on technology, which is not something. That would that would ever ever run away or ever go out of of this space, and and they also offer they also offer um, their clients speed, convenience, and you know customer centric um, services, personalized services. These are things that that interest us, right? You know we we love it when they tell us. Um, bringing your money, no charges. You can make transfer, no charges. You'll be excited. <laughs> You'll be excited and you want to explore that space. We also get to do um, transactions faster and, and, and the likes. So they also have the, the, the they also have places that they are playing, which which I don't think will make them fade away. But for the banks as well, I, I don't I don't see them. Um, I don't see it uh, so much as a competition. I, I want to look at it from the collaboration part of it. Thank, thank you very much, sir. Um, now, looking at the banking industry in Nigeria, the, the banking subsector uh, of the equity, you know, the Nigerian equity space, the banks yes. seem to be priced ridiculously cheap on a PE level, on a PE yeah. ratio uh, basis. We are seeing the banks, a bank like Zenith, GTCO at P's of three, four, you know, some banks even at P's of two. What is going on? Why are ba- yeah. our banks ridiculously cheap on paper? So I, I, I think the, the, the present, like across, across the globe, you know, we are facing um, rate hikes and we are also, yeah, rate hikes generally. And, and this rate hike, they have, well, like net effects on banks, both positive and negative. Because on one hand, when the, the rates hikes happen, um, it, it could increase their interest income. 
On the other end, it could also increase their cost of fund, right? So this has less effect on them. So, uh, and as well, sentiment generally towards the banks have not been so, you know, so good recently. You know, we have <laughs> um, people coming out daily to say things about banks not being, you know, as effective as they should be. We have um, uh, foreign exchange issues, you know, sentiments generally around the banks that, and, and also corporate governance issues, rumors that, you know, that are coming out of, of the Nigerian banking space. These are some of the things that, you know, have, have painted investor sentiments, you know, poorly towards the banks. Right, so it is more of sell-offs. So when when you when you sell off on these banks, you know the prices are dropping, and then with with lower prices, cause you know um, this low P and all of that. So yes, that, that is that's a part of it. Or you know the sentiment generally across investors towards the banks is what is what has been causing the low at um the low p but again i would still like to look at it in a positive way because a low pe doesn't doesn't mean that these banks are fundamentally poor right so i would also see it as a as an um, opportunity to even buy cheaper yeah because if you are able to identify um Seekers that are fundamentally strong. I, I won't give you names, <laughs> but if you can, <laughs> but if you can identify them, and you see that they are attractive, you know, you can key into it, you know, and play long term because you are sure that these are fundamentally strong seekers. So as long as we see it from the angle that um, investor sentiment towards banking tickets have not been so good in recent times, can also see it as an opportunity for retail investors to tap into, you know, these, these tickers because it gives them um, attractive upside. Perfect, perfect. All right. Um, now, um, I, I know you have a, a maybe, I, I don't know if I should call it a side hustle or maybe like a side gig. <laughs> um, it's called the Broad Street <laughs> Financial Review. Is that something you run personally yeah. or is that a collaboration with others? Yeah, I um, run it with two other friends and I have like a team. So um, it's something that um, it's more of a financial hub. We are presently running, um, giving free financial education. So we want to register our names in people's minds, right? So it's Broad Street Financial Review, BSFR. So um, for Larry, um, Ogundikpe, Tilewa, Anifowoshi, Sadiq Safriyu, co-founders of Broad Street Financial Review. And we, are, we also have um, a team. Um, yeah, we also have other people that work with us. But yeah, that's basically it. You know, it's a financial hub. Uh, if, if you've been following it for a while, you see that it's mostly free, um, like financial education articles, financial tips, you know, things generally that will keep you up to date and, you know, to also enhance and promote financial independence and financial literacy generally. Great. Um, I, I stumbled across that page on um, on LinkedIn 
and I've followed that page. Very, very educational content. Um, aside from LinkedIn, is there any other social media platform where people can search for Broad Street Financial Review and follow to follow to get um to this to get updates and you know to see your posts whenever you post them? Yes, please. Um, we have Twitter, Broad Street Financial. Um, we have Facebook account, Broad Street Financial Review. Tweet, um, Instagram as well, Broad Street Financial Review and LinkedIn, as you mentioned. And also the websites where you can um, get our articles, you know, um, insightful articles, um, www.brushstreetfinancialreview.com. So it's, it helps you, you know, it gives you up to dates. Um, we give you, you know, insightful, insightful articles, financial articles. Talking about articles, as we begin to wind down this conversation, sir, um, you wrote an article recently where you talked about the checklists for making investment decisions. I think this is a very in- interesting subject that retail investors will benefit from knowing a little more about. Do you mind just sharing one, two, three, four, five, six things about that article and what retail investors can learn from that? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's my problem. Um, thank you. So, yes, checklist for making um your investment decisions. You know, in this time where um, inflation is rising, you cannot afford to just leave your money in the bank only. You know, just leaving it idle. Even even without inflation, you you need to make your money work for you. But now this is an urgent call to say that you know you have to invest your funds, right? So in making these investment decisions, um, we just provide the the article provided insights on what you should look for. And for me, I felt first it's important that you have a financial plan. So you cannot just um, follow bandwagoners because people are investing, you want to invest, right? That might, that might you know, spoil your interest, but it will also be important that you have a financial plan because it guides you towards knowing what to invest in, you know, how much to invest in. And it's, it helps you make so much decision. Because when you when you move further in making your, your investment plans and investment decisions, your financial plan will be a guide to tell you what actually you need to do. You also need to, you know, be able to determine your risk tolerance. And and for me, your risk tolerance is just the degree of um the ability and willingness to take on investment risk. Whereas how willing are you to take risk and how much um what's your ability in taking risk? You know, you might be willing to take on your percent risk but your bank account is saying something different. So your financial ability mainly also have an impact to play, right? Because you might, you might, if you urgently need money and you want to lock in your funds in um, an investment of five years, then that's, that's trouble really. So, and also, you know, generally just your willingness and your ability to take on it, you need to be able to determine it because it helps you make um, informed investment decision. You also need to develop an investment strategy, right? And these are the set of actions that would guide you towards the investment decision that you're making. You know, some people actively trade. Some people are just good in holding and, you know, selling later. Some people are fine with buying mutual funds. Um, you know, ju- you just need to determine, you know, what investment strategy works for you. Do you have um, enough money to trade? If no, do you are you fine with just buying and holding, and you know benefiting from capital, you know gains and selling later, 
or do you need um, mutual fund, you know, that is being managed by a fund man, that, that is already managed by, by a fund manager? You know, things like that. You need to be able to develop an investment strategy. And very importantly, you have to research, research, and research, you know. You cannot just, because this is your money, you cannot just afford to buy into something because people are talking about it, right? You need to be able to invest, like you need to be able to research, Search about what you really want to, what you want to, where you want to put your money. It's your money, so it's important that you do the hard work in order to to get prompt information and and really relevant information in making your decisions. And as well, you'll be able to through all of this when you aggregate them together, you'll be able to build your investment portfolio. You know, be able to know, am I taking how much risk can I take? Okay, my portfolio would have. Um, crypto, would have real estate, would have um, fixed income, would have equity. You know, through, once you follow that checklist and you've actually ticked them, you see that you'll be able to build your investment portfolio and you'll be able to manage it subsequently. But if you want to, you know, get more information on this article, you know, you can go on to www.bushfinancialreview.com. You should also follow our social media handles because we we keep you up to date with, you know, um, insightful financial tips, financial information, and there are still some other exciting, you know, things lined up to come to come out from Bursary Financial Review before the end of this year and, and even um, after now. So it's a space to watch because interesting things are coming out from it. Perfect, perfect. I'll probably even leave a link to that website in the description of this episode, just so that people can easily access that website from from this episode. Yeah. Um, thank you very, very much All for right. that. One last question before we let you go, sir. If you were to leave yes, the please. retail investor with one, two, three, or just maybe just one, one single, if you were to summarize everything into one statement, what advice would you give the retail investor listening to you today, sir? Okay, so the, the you know the financial market is difficult to really tell because decisions or decisions of monetary policy um, policies, the, the decision of monetary authorities and um, governments you know haven't really been so. Um, how would I put it now? The, the 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 way it has affected the financial markets. You know, you might be thinking of your portfolio. Sometimes when I look at your portfolio and you know. You are not liking the color. Maybe it's red, 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 red. You're wondering, is this Squid Game? <laughs> so, but but it's, the, the advice is just, you know, as much as possible, make your research, right? Um, be sure that what you're investing in um, is fundamentally sound. As if you are if you're investing in equities market now, be sure that it is fundamentally sound. Um, you know, just. Just like just just be careful with what you're doing. Don't just rush to put your money anywhere. Need financial advice? You can reach out to Mary Stem Securities Limited. You know, would give you would help you grow your wealth. That's what we do, right? So, reach out to informed financial advisor. In this case, Mary Stem Securities Limited would would give you with so much information. This one that. Um, I'm giving you one tip. We don't. We will not give you one tip there. <laughs> we give you a lot. So yes, reach out to us and we'll help you grow your wealth. 
it's been a huge pleasure. It's it, in fact, it's 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 been a dream come true because it's it's ticked all the boxes of what I was hoping this episode would entail. Thank you very very much, sir, for your time and for sharing so freely of everything that you have gained over the years. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Ajitola. And um, I hope I've been able to, you know, answer, um, to, to, to seek the objectives of, of this episode. And I look forward to, you know, engaging you and having a conversation with you again. Absolutely. You can, you can bet that I will definitely, at one point in the future, hope to bring you back to this uh, podcast. Thank you very much, sir.